podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good evening, good evening and welcome to the Anglo-Italian Monday Night World Cup 2022 preview review show. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friends, before he does his customary <laughs> disappearing, I'm joined by one of my good friends. Adam. Hey, Rory. Adam, it's been a blast. Doing, it's been I... a blast. Every every episode, we've got to make sure Andy just disappears off our screens, right? So <laughs> We do <we just laughs> kick him out at the last second just to know that it boils his piss. But he will be back shortly, we hope. Um, and as you well know, guys... Um, the final whistle has just blown um, between Brazil and South Korea. We are going to take you through that game. We're going to take you through a very unlucky but ill-prepared Japan. Um, and then we're going to go right the way back and take you through all the round of 16 games, giving you our thoughts and opinions. We know you can't wait. Adam, how have you been, mate? I've been very good, thank you. Uh a bit more optimistic, I'd say, about Poland just in general after watching that mm-hmm. match on uh, Sunday. Uh, pleasantly surprised as well, but uh, more importantly, had a very good weekend. How about yours? Nice. Yeah, weekend. Terrible weather, which meant I could watch football all weekend. So that was good. <laughs> An excuse to stay on the sofa. So I watched all the round of 16 games. That was nice. Um and yeah, all good, really. We've got a bit of a bank holiday in Italy this week. So it's kind of, nice. we get Wednesday, Thursday off. So today and tomorrow are a proper slog at work when you know that you've got days off. But yeah. I'll be really thankful for the time off, thinking of doing Turin, a few little day trips. So fingers crossed. We'll have lots to report on Thursday, not just the football. But we should really start with what we have just witnessed. And what we've just witnessed mm. is a live murder on television (laughs) as Brazil absolutely (laughs) butcher South Korea. And Adam, give us your first thoughts on these performances from both sides. Uh, So to start off with Brazil, I feel like they're kind of, I suppose, justifying why I feel they're going to be favourites for this competition. Um, Just the depth that this squad has is absolutely incredible. And um, just to see how they make it so seamless and so easy is incredible. And also, just from my point of view, when you have like two centre-backs like Thiago Silva and Marquinhos joining together and creating one of the goals so simply, and it looks like it was just a piece off the training pitch itself, it was just, yeah, superlatives just fail me sometimes. With South Korea, I feel they were like kind of kind of shell-shocked by the mm. kind of first few kind of goals going through. Um, it didn't help that they left themselves quite exposed at the back. Uh, there seemed to be like an intent to attack, but at the same time, yeah. no intent to come back either to defend. So I did feel sorry for the likes of Kim and also the goalie. Um, but yeah, I th- obviously it's the end of the road for South Korea. I think they did relatively well to get to this stage. I think if you would have given it at the beginning of this like yeah, tournament, yeah, they yeah. would have taken it. So I think they've done incredibly well. Probably just unfortunate they've had to meet Brazil along the way, right? Um, it, is the it, hardest, yeah. it is the hardest team you can get drawn against really straight out of the group. I think South Korea were kind of fortunate to get through. Like things fell in their place. Here he is. Things <laughs> fell in their place. Um, I think things fell into place for South Korea for them to get through. I don't think they massively impressed in any of their games in the group stage, really. No. 
And I think for them to get there and then all of a sudden you're just like rabbits in headlights or crap we're up against the favourites. I think I didn't see it being close. I thought Brazil would be quite comfortable. I didn't think it would be this comfortable. I didn't think... I was in class when the game went on and one of my students was checking. He was like, 29 minutes, 3-0. Like, come on, it's not even a contest. I was like, yeah, I expected maybe a bit more. But mm. unlucky South Korea, great to get through. Andy, what were your thoughts on South Korea's performance? And then we can wax lyrical about Brazil. I just thought the way that they lined up, I mean, they had massive sort of big dick energy about the way that they lined up. It was like, we're mm-hmm. gonna, I, don't know what, I don't know what Paulo Bento was smoking the night before, but he obviously woke up and went, you know what, I'm going to play, I'm going to play like a 4-2-4. I'm going to, you know, we're going to play Brazil at their own game. We've got Son. It's going to be absolutely fine. He looks like a superhero. Uh, <laughs> and, um, it, yeah, it, and they just got t- the torn apart. I mean, it's, it's like that classic, you know, the coach sends you out there and go, you know, let's be solid the first five or ten minutes. And pretty, pretty much every ten minutes, it was um, game over. It's just, as much as you could praise the individual brilliance of Brazil players, um, the sum of the defending was just, you know, you'd be annoyed at that at League Two standard, to be honest, if you yeah, some yeah. of the defending there. And I don't think the goalkeeper was... But, covering himself in glory particularly much either so mm. yeah it was a poor performance uh, but then again they, you know against Ghana they looked extremely vulnerable um mm. at the back mm. and you know greatest of respect to Ghana they're not as good a you know a team as as Brazil um so there were vulnerabilities there that they you know that could be exposed um and they, and they were so yeah uh but I think before you know going on to Brazil, I think they're absolute. That opening half hour is probably some of the best football I've seen this World Cup mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, so yeah, they definitely feel like they're getting into their groove, right, Adam? I feel like they started not yeah. they've not even started slowly. They've started kind of fine, and now it feels like it's starting to kick into motion. What do you think? Yeah, I, I feel like they've gone about it quite in a professional manner. Um, uh, granted, there's been a few results that have been kind of very close, like I suppose to an extent Switzerland frustrated them. Um, but I think as the kind of tournament's gone on, I think they've started to get that groove together. Neymar was off for a period of time as well. So, yeah, I, I do genuinely feel like, you know, they're the team to look out for now going forward. They, they are the team that seems to have the best depth of any of the sides, I feel like, at this tournament. Um, and, yeah, I think there's more to come. I really genuinely think, mm-hmm. obviously, they've got to face probably better opposition now in the quarterfinals and semifinal stages if they make it that far. Um, but I genuinely think they're going to go all the way at this moment in time because, yeah, if you look at who they potentially might fee- uh, face in the next round, obviously, it's Croatia. And then thereafter... It's going to be interesting to see how they pair up in the semi-finals. But I think, obviously, Croatia is going to be a hell of a match as well because you've got two total footballing sides, but Croatia Mm. can mix it up as well, as they've shown earlier today as well. Yeah, I think with Croatia, like we'll get on to them and we'll hear from friend of the show, Lovra, on how he reacted to that incredibly tense match. But I think with Croatia, they are... We were reminded how professional they are and how good they are at just getting through extra time and getting games to extra <laughs> yeah. time. I think Brazil are really going to have their, their work cut out. And I think you're right. It's the first real challenge of a team, I think. Their first, like, stepping up against top opposition. Um, but I just, I can't believe, 
who is this Richarlison? I've never seen him before. Who, who is he? He's come from nowhere and he can't stop scoring. I have not witnessed him at all. Andy, what do you, how brilliant is it that he only does this for Brazil? I really hope he doesn't continue it, it, it really, Yeah, it really is um, strange. To be fair, like he's had moments where he's looked really, really good, you know, both Everton and Spurs. I guess the thing he probably lacks at at least domestic level is consistency. And mm-hmm. I think some players, like, a tournament at the end of the day, you've only got to play well for six or seven games and you win the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe for players, but, you know, like the Charles and who were quite streaky in that respect, they could put, you know, four, five, six games together and then be mm-hmm. then be duds for two years. Well, uh, you know, if Brazil win the World Cup, it won't, it won't really matter to them. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it, it shocked me on the, on the, on the score to Cavies. Oh, you got like 20 odd goals for Brazil. I was like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> I he is on fire with them like coming into the world cup i think he had seven goal involvements in eight games maybe coming into the world cup for brazil so he's definitely like i think that's why he was picked obviously because he was just in such hot form and he's just continued it straight through it is quite funny that he's barely done anything for spurs but for brazil he seems to be absolutely untouchable i think also I was going to say, one thing that I was reading into earlier that um, he seems to have also been quite admired by the Brazilian public. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's obviously quite well known that some of the Brazil players, Neymar, have uh, some somewhat dodgy <laughs> All of them. Yeah. Which haven't made themselves particularly popular. Whereas with Charles, I think, because of where he's come from, he's very sort of proud of where he comes from, yeah. from the favelas. And, you know, he hasn't forgotten about his people. And I think the connect. <laughs> It's sometimes underrated, you know, how much that connection between your home country can have an influence on performances. And maybe it's yeah, yeah. it's a bit of thing like he gets a love, he gets a bit of love from the Brazil, you know, the the public and the media and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think he's sort of giving it back in that way. Whereas mm-hmm. I think at Tottenham, he hasn't really settled because he's not no. a first choice there. You've got Son and Kane ahead of him. Granted, yeah. Antonio Conte is watching that tonight. I think he might be. I think. Um, he might be his, his performances in Brazil might actually be a catalyst for his uh, Spurs yeah. career to get because let's be honest, he only moved in this, he only moved this summer. It's not yeah, like- it's just that he's got that three with Kulosevsky ahead of him. And if he and you're right, he is a streaky player. He is a player who scores five games in a row and then doesn't score for ten. And it's like he does feel like that kind of player. So I think with someone like Conte, he demands, you know perfection every single time every week yeah yeah i think maybe he runs out of patience with him but i think you made a very good point about richarlison and when the stories came out about him being this like socialist hero i was like oh don't make me like you richarlison i don't (laughs) want to like you but it turns out i quite like you um yeah it was good to see that some of them haven't forgotten where they're from and actually you know realize the problems in brazil but we need to move on from Brazil, I think. Um, I'm terrified about England having to play them at some point, but that would only happen in the final. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But we do need to talk about Croatia. And in order to do this, we are going to hear from friend of the show, Lovra, in his reaction straight after that dramatic win on penalties. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> uh, yet another knockout game for Croatia and yet another absolutely nerve-wracking it's I I'm 17 and I feel like I've aged 100 years just from our knockout games at the World Cup and at the Euros it's unbelievable oh my yeah uh well what a game uh Japan were very good uh we weren't 
up to par for most of the game, which wasn't good to see and isn't good looking forward. But we were okay in defense again, but sometimes our defense did let us slip. But uh, Modric uh, kind of visible today, not not his, not his usual, usual self, but Japan really did their work. They really covered every inch of the pitch like they should have and just stopped the midfield from doing things that they did before and done throughout their career. So, yeah, Kovacic and Modric didn't really have to do much, but uh, Perisic, what a man. So he's now the top goal scorer for Croatia in the in major tournaments. He surpassed Davor Šukernak today, but it's, this is his 10th goal in major tournaments, so absolutely amazing. And penalties... I was very nervous heading into extra time because I just seeing Japan run for for the whole of the ninety minutes, I was getting worried. But then I got a little bit calm, remembering what we did four years ago. So, and then the penalties. Then I was like, "Can we do it again?" And we sure did it. Levakovic, uh, the third goalkeeper to save three penalties in a penalty shootout. The first one was, uh, oh my god, I I just forgot his name. Uh, just some Portuguese goalkeeper against England twenty in two thousand six and Subasic twenty eighteen and now Levakovic again turning into Subasic again so uh what a performance and looking forward now uh, to the Brazil South Korea game to see who we face in the quarterfinals. Nice. Well, it sounded like that game took all the energy out of her. It felt like you needed to go lie down and recover. But that was an incredibly, incredibly tense game. I thought it was very high quality. I thought both teams really kind of brought the heat, so to speak. I feel like just Japan might have been the better side, that maybe they created the better chances. But I'm going to go to you, Andy, first. What were your impressions of the game? And then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Well, maybe I'll sort of catch the highlights. I was literally talking to people, talking to clients on the phone and looking at the phone at the same time. <laughs> but I think with Japan, like as they have done, Japan are a sort of team where once they get into a rhythm of attacking, they can they're actually quite relentless at mm-hmm. you know at pressing, trying to break up play, worked against Spain, they like, can go you know long periods of game without the ball, but when they get the bit between the teams, they're actually quite quite aggressive and you've not seen too many teams as well cup operate you know like a high press and an aggressive mm-hmm. pressing strategy you know you certainly see it more with domestic game you've got more time to train um so i think maybe one thing they probably lacked is that i've noticed that in a couple of their games that you know had they um got like a more recognized or more clinical number nine um i think they perhaps have done better i've seen uh, made a few times for celtic and he's mm-hmm. a, does what he, he does a really good job is sort of pressing and running, but you wouldn't exactly put your life on him, uh, scoring a one on one. And you saw that okay. in the campaign as well. Um, and I think maybe I think it's a and it's little things like that, like the slight quality and difference. You know, with, with uh Croatia, they have sort of like Paris, you know, who you know, remember scored a brilliant goal in the World Cup final in 2018. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of know how and quality at those moments that. And make a difference. We've seen Croatia do it before. Um, so they just have a way of grinding through great games. It's not pretty, <laughs> but yeah. um, they have they have a way of they just have a way of just getting through it. And the fact you see the likes of um, Modric, you know, even if he didn't have his best game, like thirty seven, still putting in the putting in the minutes and hard yards. Um, that 
yeah, no, I think no, I think nobody was going to really have a good time playing Croatia. You're not going to mm-hmm. play through them, and they, you know, they could, they're good technically, and they're good physically as well. They can, yeah, yeah. And I think that helps them when they get to because the, they seem, you know, a bit like against England four years ago. They seem to have that extra bit of energy in that last mm-hmm. sort of 10, 15 minutes. The um, pace that extra time was played at was mad. Like it wasn't yeah. a slow extra time there was like japan on re- like rapid counter-attacks and croatia zipping it about you know this is really high pace for extra time but i feel like it was kind of helped by the fact and at the time i tweeted about it i was like what is he doing dalic took off modric and kovacic late late on in the game which i thought was a just incredibly ballsy move i thought if they lose mm. this this is going to be beaten to death with that decision but it absolutely pulled off. It absolutely like pulled off, gave the midfield that legs that he knew. Like I think against Japan, as we've said the whole time, they're so quick, they're so dynamic. Like you, you're gonna need legs. You're just gonna need legs. It doesn't matter if you've got the technical ability at that point. It's just about making sure you can cover the ground and mark the men, right? Like, and I just thought it was an incredibly ballsy move, and it really, really came off for Dalic. Some fair play. Um, but Adam, let's get your thoughts on Croatia. Um, what do you what do you think of their performance? Any standout performers for you? Uh, I think the main one that springs out to mind is Perisic. Um, Perisic, I mean, he seems to just have this longevity uh, where he seems to be able to have this bit of like pace on him, that bit of quality. I feel like he was really good in this particular match. But then also in the middle, Brozovic, I felt like he controlled the game as well mm-hmm. to a, a degree, you know, because obviously you've got the opposition in like the likes of Kamada, Ito as well, that were kind of just running, as you say. They were just constantly bombarding Croatia. And when you've got players like Modric, who struggled, I felt he struggled in this match. Mm -hmm. Like he was playing for most of it on that right-hand side of that midfield and he was having to drop back. So, you know, from that point of view, I think obviously Croatia's manager did the right thing. He ultimately just took him off because he said, look, he's not going to last the whole majority of this match. Yes, you probably would say he's probably one of your first penalty takers in that circumstance, but I think he was going for the win in that fairness. Um, And yeah, yeah, I mean, just generally, I felt like it was more of a team performance. I I couldn't really necessarily say there's one call out, but if there was one, Perisic, because I feel, feel like... That goal was quality. That loop in terms of the header was incredible. Mm. But he just kind of made sure that, you know, Japan weren't comfortable at any moment. And I felt like his contribution was really critical in this match. He's such a weird... Because I think people don't appreciate how good his career has been. (laughs) Like, he's really underrated this guy's career. So he's won, obviously, Serie A with Inter. He's won the Champions League, he's won the Bundesliga, he's, he's won the Bundesliga twice with Borussia Dortmund, with um, Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg, and Wolfsburg right? He won yeah, it with Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg. Oh, wow. like, that was like 2009, I think it was, back with like... 2015. Yeah, 2014-15. Yeah. Yeah. So he's won the Bundesliga three times. No, wait, Bundesliga twice. Yeah, incredible yeah. career. And I just think People should respect him more than they do, I think. He's also got his country to a World Cup final. He's genuinely like a bit of a legend of the game, right? What do you think, Andy? Like, I really think people sleep on him a bit. I think, yeah, I think you know what? Because he's not really like, um, he's not like a flashy person, is he? Like, no. both in terms of on the pitch, which is the most important part, and off the pitch. He's a very, very sort of bread and butter kind of guy, but he mm-hmm. does the basics really, really well. And I think that's what Croatia overall 
are good at as a nation. They're not a flashy bunch, but they just do really basic stuff exceptionally yeah. well. Um, you know, Modric is another example of that. He's he's just a pass and move. And mm-hmm. when, when you say it like that, it sounds easy. But obviously, if you mm-hmm. you, know, you go to play football as well, like granted, not anywhere near the same level, but it's de- you know, definitely it, harder it, than it, they it, make it look. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and with President, I think the one thing I've always liked about him is he's very good at sort of making late runs and finding mm-hmm. space and mm-hmm. as a wing and just putting in really good the pinpoint deliveries. And mm-hmm. as a winger, that's pretty much what you need, really. I think there's sometimes a little bit you see a lot from sort of you know, I guess the younger wingers, so there's a lot more you know, pissing about on the uh, yeah. the edge of it, waiting for the overlap and run. whereas sometimes it really is as simple as get ball. Cross ball. Cross, yeah, that's all you need. That's all you need. It sounds like, it yeah. sounds like what you say to a five-year-old, but um, <laughs> yeah. that's, I think, yeah, so it's, it's probably why he's not talked about in those kind of heights because you, you try to think to yourself, like, has he, you know, he's, he's not like scored like, you know, had like a 30 goal season or any yeah, yeah, yeah. like a Ballon d'Or or anything, but he's just been remarkably consistent. He's one yeah. of those players, I think, when you look back at like five or 10 years' time, I think time will be kind to him, yeah. perhaps, than yeah. it is at the present, because he's the sort of player that you only really appreciate, perhaps, when they're no longer there. Yeah, uh, yeah well, yeah, I think, yeah. talk to Inter fans now. Talk to Inter fans now. Yeah. They definitely would take Perisic back in a heartbeat, I think. Um, but we do, before we move on to the next game, we do need to quickly talk about, have Japan been told about <laughs> the concept of penalties? Because they are three of the worst penalties I've ever seen in my life. Now, Lovra in the recording said Livakovic becomes the third goalkeeper to save three penalties in a World Cup final. I'm going to say he was helped massively by all of the <laughs> players. All of the shots were within a foot of where the keeper was stood, I'm going to say, and kind of telegraphed to which um, direction they were going. Adam, what do you think happened there? Did they just not practice? We know that Poland spent a long time practicing penalties. Do you think Japan just didn't bother? It clearly showed. It clearly showed that they didn't really <laughs> do anything. Um, I was surprised because Minamino was the first one, right? And you expect yep. a better hit in comparison to the others. But yeah, they did not. I, I, I didn't feel like they were confident even when they were walking towards it. I didn't feel like they were assured in terms of where they were going to place it. And the fact that they kind of almost were identical placements kind of sums it up, doesn't it, really? Unfortunately, just not their kind of time, was it, this time around? No, I think that was just classic, the occasion getting to them a little bit. And the second it got to penalties, I think you're like, okay, Croatia have got this in the bag. They've been here before. They have now not won a knockout game in the World Cup since... In normal time, since 1998, <laughs> that was the last wow. time they won a knockout game in normal time. They are the experts at this thing. Japan, I just want to say, like, there's a lot of teams that we've been, like, really enjoyed this tournament. Japan is up there with one of the, the mm. one of the best. Just as Andy touched on, one of the few teams that played a high-pressing game that actually went after teams that made it difficult on the ball. We're seeing, and we'll get into it because we're about to talk about Holland, USA. We're seeing a lot of teams that sit back and score on the counter, right? Including England. And I think it's really, it's been exciting to see a team play kind of high pace, aggressive football. So yeah, Japan, unbelievable achievement for them. I really wanted them to get to the quarters, but this will live long in their memory. Before they go, I'm just going to put you both on the spot and say, um, Andy, favorite Japan moment? It was against Spain, like that yeah. that moment where you know there was that did it or did it not cross the line, and it's just the absolute 
chaos that ensued in that three that three minutes of football, it, it literally went from absolute cakewalk to Spain to oh my god, what is going on? And the carnage yeah. that caused in the other game with Costa Rica in Germany. And yeah, just, I mean there was that ten minutes where Spain were going out <laughs> and Germany were both going out, and uh, it was oh, a beautiful man. time. It was a beautiful it, it, time. Adam, what about you? Your favourite Japan moment? Because Andy's claimed that, I'll just go with the Germany game, purely because like that set the tone, right? I didn't think it could be possible, um, but, you know, they got the better of Germany on that occasion. And I think that was the kind of almost the second shock of the rounds because you had Saudi Arabia against Argentina. Mm -hmm. Then you had this match, which I think really did shake up the tournament and in particular Germany. So, um, yeah, yeah, hand it to Japan. I think we'll give them that due as well. Yeah, I'm just going to claim Matoma and stay on brand. I absolutely love him. And seeing Arsenal legend Takuma Asano score a winner against Germany is not a timeline I ever expected to be in. But (laughs) here we are. We've witnessed it, people. But we're going to take you right the way back to the first of the games of the round of 16. And Louis van Gaal's orange army marches on in a game where uh, if the USA had a striker they'd be so dangerous I kind of yeah. at the t- <laughs> at the time I put up a video of you know Indiana Jones where that guy's with the sword and, he's like, <laughs> yeah. and he just shoots him and I was like this is the Netherlands <laughs> against the USA they're doing all this really pretty passing and really like oh they're a very organized technical side and then the Netherlands are just like, bang, 1-0, 2-0, game over, done. Um, my initial thoughts on Netherlands have been that they're very, very efficient. They're just efficient. Mm-hmm. I'm still not blown away by them. I'm still not – I think some people are a lot more excited about them than I am and think they can go a lot further than I do. But I, what I'm also seeing is a team that's just doing exactly what's necessary. They're just like, beat that team, beat that team, mm-hmm. beat that team, keep going. I think Van Gaal, obviously, like this 3-4-3 system that he plays with them is unbelievable. It's worked so well with that team. Denzel Dumfries had an absolute field day against Anthony Robinson. I think he's going to be having flashbacks to that that (laughs) 90 minutes because he was torn inside out. But I think it's interesting because Van Gaal has kind of got a lot of stick for not playing the kind of traditional Dutch football and he's Mm. gone with this formation change. I think it's just really great to see the story that he's been through, etc., and where he is, the, to see his ideas come off on the pitch and actually have some very exciting players. The more I watch the team, the more I am like, okay, yeah, I can see it a bit. I still think once they come up against a proper side, they might struggle. But players like um, De Jong in midfield has been fantastic. Dumfries has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Nathan Ake at left centre-back, I did not expect to be as good as he has been. I think that's a position in a three that he does really well in. Um, Cody Gakpo obviously is now worth about $200 million to United <laughs> or whoever's going to try and buy him. Um, and I think I'm waving the flag for Memphis to buy. I think he is judged because he was shy to United. I think genuinely he's such an exciting player. I think I take the point that he has his on days and his off days, but I think his, his scoring record, he's now nearly the top goal scorer for Hull, for the Netherlands, which would be a hell of an achievement. Um I just think, yeah, maybe they, maybe I should be more excited about it. And what do you think, Andy? How do you feel about the Netherlands and their performances? I think uh, I get so. I think they're before they're peaking at the right time. I think their performance against um, USA was by far their best performance so far of the mm-hmm. tournament. 
I think there seemed to be a little bit more freedom um, to sort of express themselves up top because um, they did look very, very ropey during the group stages. I mean, mm -hmm. Ecuador gave them a good, yeah. you know, gave them a good go. Um, and obviously with, you know, with um, Guitar and uh, Senegal being relatively accommodating opposition, um, I, I still I still feel that they haven't been, you know, tested really. I mean, ultimately they're playing, day, you know, Daily Blend and uh, David Clarkson still. <laughs> you know, it's, um, the, the, and they haven't got particularly much, um, you know, much in the way of depth as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think, because uh, I, I thought the USA would pull off a shock, you know, prior to the game. I had it down as a upset, yeah. yeah. But um, no, I think um, I think they're doing as expected. I think if you said to most Dutch fans who get through to the quarters, I think they would probably mm -hmm. take that. And anything that happens now is a bonus. And I think I think there's also a bit of um, I think a lot of, for a lot of these Dutch players, it is probably going to be their last World Cup. I mean, it certainly is. Obviously, for Louis van Gaal came out of retirement yeah. in the first place. But, you know, for the likes, obviously, Noppart, who's like, you know, 37 years old, barely, I mean, that is a story in itself. It's like, yeah, he was, yeah. you know, suddenly first choice for his club in the past, like, year or two. So, you know, he's got called up because, mainly because Jasper Sillison for a wobbly refused to be part of the squad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, and think, he played you know, really well against the USA. He made yeah. some good, he made some big saves in Opera as well. He's fucking huge, isn't he? Like yeah, he's he's massive. Just, <laughs> he's just there, just he sticks his arms, sticks his arms out, he covers like most of the goal. Like it's um He it said on telly he was six foot seven. I thought that's gotta be a lie, but he's six yeah, foot seven. Most, I know the Dutch are tall, but Jesus yeah, Christ. Where do you see him spread himself? Like yeah, you yeah. can see why, but I think but obviously with Gapco as well, like I know United are very heavily linked for him. Mm -hmm in the summer um and rumors are they're still very very heavily linked to them and um i i've well, seen him before he was more of a winger but he could certainly do a job up top um yeah, yeah, yeah. very you know very very good so i think he's got a great future ahead of him actually yeah. with Bay, i think you know what he was shite at united um i think that move came probably three or four years too soon for him yeah. to be honest and he wasn't you know when Mourinho came in that wasn't really the right manager for him yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the other players but <laughs> yeah. I think um yeah I think for Holland I think for the past few years but you know under Koeman and leading into Van Hull he has been the main man and you know in he, he you know in the absence of real top quality number nines in Holland at the moment he yeah. has been that main man and I think with someone like Memphis Depay you kind of have to build a team around it. You kind of, mm. you kind of have to spruce up. I feel like the pressure I get with him, you have to sort of play to his ego a little bit. Massively, um, massively. And I think, you know, yeah. I think Louis van Gaal, I think he knows that. He's, he's been around the block and he's probably going to, you know, Memphis going like, you know what, mate, you could, you could, you can destroy these boys, you yeah, know, yeah. do do what you do. And I think in terms of the man management stuff, I think Louis van Gaal is underrated at that a little bit. Mm. Again, I think in England he's probably a little bit misunderstood. Um I, I absolutely him. love him. I have to say yeah I, I, I do him. as well. I think he got again yeah. he's a little one, a bit like Memphis Depay perhaps got a little bit of a bad rep in yeah, England. Yeah. I mean granted the football is terrible sometimes but I don't think he was given the resources to be able to do mm. what Louis van Gaal does best um yeah, yeah. and i think yeah no, i think yeah I, th I think it's really great to see him 
it, like just having this kind of swan song and it going yeah. well and his press conferences are still hilarious where he said to his wife on the cameras, you can come up to the hotel room <laughs> and get laid if you want. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Um, I think having his energy there is incredible. Seeing his the moment where he hugged that journalist who said, like, I'm a huge fan. And, like, he gave Dumfries a big, like, kiss. And, that, and you're like, he's obviously just having a great time. The players absolutely love him. And, yeah, I just, I love the energy that he brings. Um, so the Netherlands march on. Gakpo is unbelievable. His running and his ability to find space is genuinely very, very impressive. Um, I hope United don't get him. Just go to Spain or something, please. Um, <laughs> but we do need to talk about the USA. And, Adam, I'm going to go to you. Their, goal, their, their striker scored an incredible goal. It definitely wasn't on purpose, but he did score it. And I want to give out a strike a shout-out to their first striker for the first half. Is it Ferreira? I've never seen a player have less of an impact on a game in my yes. life. Yeah. no idea who he is or where he is, but we'll never see him again. Um, no. What did you think about the USA? It's a tournament too early for them? Uh, I think if you look at the reaction of US fans, they kind of say Berhalter didn't have great tactics for certain matches. He also didn't pick the right players. So, for example, in the attacking line, there's a striker that's doing it really well in the Dutch league, which is Pepe, he's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not. Taken, he could have yeah. been called up, but the US, for whatever, didn't. And Berhalter did mention before the tournament started, he might look at that exclusion and kind of say was that the right move and potentially now he's probably regretting it because I think mm. when when we were talking a few weeks back about the Iran USA match that was where my doubts were about a focal point someone that could lead a line I think what's interesting is US journalists have kind of speculated that maybe this was the Josie outer door that they were expecting to turn up but obviously, yeah, his form hasn't been yeah, great. Hence, and Christ. this is the problem, right? This, <laughs> He's the next Josie Altador. Fucking hell, but if you, if you say yeah. that, though, like taking that out of question, like out of the equation right now, um, going forward, I think they are really struggling because you haven't got that generation of players. They've got a load of midfielders, right? Giovanni Reina didn't turn up that much in the, well, he, this tournament as well. A... And again, that's kind of been called out as maybe exclusion by Berhalter. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why he didn't yeah, get he more game time. No, exactly. So I just need some very Southgate isms. Like, well, a lot yes. of the similar, a lot of the accusations people have against Southgate against, you know, with like uh, Jack Grealish and James Madison, yeah. like not trusting the creative players and not having a system to allow them to express themselves. And with Berhalter, it's very much the same sort of uh, thing with there. But yeah, I think he made a mistake with um, his striker line. Obviously, regarding Pepe. Doing doing quite a good job in Europe at the moment. Peter Ferreira. I mean, he had a couple of good. Se- he's had a couple of good seasons in MLS, but at, in- at international level, it is a complete a completely different ball yeah, game. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. he hadn't really had enough probably tournament experience really to be able yeah. to do that. I think. Um, I honestly, I thought it was it was baffling watching him because I thought he's all, he's just where the ball was two minutes ago. Like it just felt like he <laughs> yeah. was not, he was not keeping up with the game at all. And I thought he, he was on, he was on dial up and everyone else. Was on <laughs> <laughs> and it just, because when they said like, this is his first world cup start or whatever. And I was like, Oh bloody hell. In around a 16 <laughs> game, like that is your manager is like throwing you in there. And I think it's, I'm not even having to go in personally. If you know what I mean? I just yeah. think, 
Berhalter obviously made some odd decisions. And when when I saw Gio Reyna coming on at like the 70th minute when it was already like losing yeah, the game exactly. or whatever, I was like, I think that's the first time I've seen him this tournament. And how the hell is he not the first name on the team? <laughs> like, I don't understand. I know that midfield has been really good with um, Adams, McKenney, and Musa. That's been incredible midfield. But you can find a way for him, for him in there, just behind your non-existent striker, whatever. They, they should be a place for that guy in your team. So I think it's really strange team selection from Bearhalter. But I mean, it was, it was a strange squad selection because it was yeah. obviously the Hayes Frail wasn't the only strange one as well. Um, Jordan Morris, uh, famous for a failed spell over in Swansea, um, which he, I he, never he, heard of him when he came on. Honestly, I was like, yeah, so yeah he plays for he plays for Seattle Seattle Sounders. He's been around. He's been more or less. Uh, career at MLS, if you like, right, right, right. loan spell at Swansea, uh, got injured, went back home. So that was, was that under Bob Bradley? That, that must have been under Bob Bradley, that, right? That, that <laughs> for him over in um, in England. And he, he'd come back from like a really serious injury prior, you know, not oh, wow. too long before the World Cup. And again, he, he hadn't put anything like the sort of run of form um mm. You know, to do that, I think maybe there maybe there was some pressure internally to pick some of the more MLS-based players, but there's yeah, a few yeah. of them that had, mm. you know, were, weren't really of the required quality to do that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's kind yeah. of it's interesting. I think we're going to see a few of these people at 2026, but not many of them. I think this is a tournament where kind of US are building towards the home tournament. Right, they now have they'll do it. Yeah, no they, now, they now have four years to build a striker. If they can do yeah. that, then they'll be fine. <laughs> but I think there is a team there. That midfield, I was absolutely blown away by. I thought it was honestly one of the best midfield threes we've seen in the tournament so far in terms of working well together, playing the system. Like Tyler Adams is such a good player. I think he's going to get a huge move off the back of this because he's he's been so, so good. McKenney knew his role. And played really well, I think. Like for Juve, I think he gets a bit too much stick. I think he is underrated a little bit. But for the US, he's been incredible. I think they just need to sort out that attacking mm. structure. Pulisic isn't going to be that guy. He's just not going to be that guy. I still don't quite get the hype about him. I think he's like, he's not even the US's best player anymore. I don't think. Like, I just, I don't get the hype about him. I think but, he's still going to be there in four years' time anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He will, he will. Um, but they've done well. They got out of the groups, and I think this is very much a building project for them. So they're, they're becoming better and better. They are becoming. They will win a World Cup in our lifetime, I'm sure, because they have the finances and the numbers of people. I'm sure they will do it. We just need to delay it for as long as possible because I don't want to see that happen. Um, but we need to move on Fight to the next. Win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need to move on to the next game, which was. Andy, we're going with you. Argentina to Australia won. They put up such a great fight, but Lionel Messi was decisive yet again. I really enjoyed this game. What did you think of it? Yeah, I really, I, I absolutely loved the game. I think um, it was the best atmosphere as well. I've seen the whole tournament. I mean, the Argent the Argentines have come in absolute force. It's like they know it's it's no they know it's Lionel Messi's probably last international tournament, and they're gonna they're gonna have a party whatever happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think with um, Argentina as well, they've got a um, really settled squad. Um, 
which have had, you know, since you know, going back to last year when they won the Cup of America, they've they've got a real sort of settled squad, uh, you know, largely devoid of a lot of um, you know disruptive egos mm-hmm. on there. You know, Mario Cardi, I'm looking at you. <laughs> I, you know, they've got a few. They've got a really sort of united, settled squad, and the football they're playing is um, absolutely fantastic. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to give credit to Australia though; they really um, put up a fight. And I think what was what was, what I found quite funny was um, their midfielder Bakker started getting into the uh, the face of Lionel Messi, giving them a bit of aggro. And literally thirty seconds later, all you've done is just piss Messi off, and he's just yeah. going to stop. In. I mean, they set themselves up to be compact. And mm-hmm. you know, if you look at where most of these Australian players are playing, they're playing, you know, in the arse end of Europe, a lot of them, yeah. some of them back home in Australia. This isn't a top tier Australia mm-hmm. side. You can argue in terms of quality of players, this is probably worse than what they had back in 2014 when they last qualified. 2006, definitely. 2006, yeah, definitely. 2006, you yeah, still have yeah. the likes of Harry Kuehl and except Mark yeah, Duke yeah. and all that kind of stuff playing for him. So, yeah, but in terms of like spirit um, and organisation, and you know they've done really, really well. Um, but yeah, I think um, that that foul that foul leading up to the goal, um, I think, was all to be quite silly. Didn't need didn't need to um, didn't didn't need to go in there, and give it the aggro, and he's been made to pay a few seconds later. And it was a sort of goal that they you, you knew Australia was sat then beforehand going. Don't give me space inside, in, you know, just outside the penalty area, and let him stroll in and slot it in yeah, there. Yeah. It's the sort of goal that we've seen Messi score over and over and mm-hmm. over again, and you know for a fact they briefed it and gone, don't let him do it. But yeah, um, I think they did. Uh, yeah, it was. It did feel like a direct retaliation to Bayich and his. Uh, I was I was enjoying the fucking blood boiling that he was doing and getting people pumped up. But you're right, all he did was piss him off. I feel like with Argentina, they were it was relatively comfortable. I think when I when Australia got the late goal, which was great because it made a fairly dull game incredibly exciting at the end. When you're like, okay, they're close, they're close, and there was the chance that fell to Kual, Garang Kual, who I think. Has signed for Newcastle United or is about yeah, to sign for Newcastle United? Yeah, still technically playing in Australia, but yeah, it's like 18 years old. Um, seen as obviously the next big thing, but I mean, yeah, the target to take it down was brilliant, but obviously, Martin has, you know, came out like an absolute flash. That was a hell of a um, save. Yeah. That was a hell you of a also, save. So, I think the best bit of defending this. Some of the best bit of defending us all the time was for Lissandra Martinez. Yeah, last ditch tackle where it was a messy like run into. He the did it twice area. as well. Yeah, he did it twice, and it's yeah that is like that grinta or whatever they say that they're determined to get. Like it feels that feels like the summit with this Argentina squad that they all know that it's Messi's last one and they're like, we will die It'll for be, this to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I still can't I, understand how Lissandra Martinez is not starting over Otamendi. I mean that. We all saw what we all saw him play for City, didn't we? <laughs> we were there. We were there. Um, but Adam, I'm going to get your thoughts on Australia. What did you make of their performance? Um, and we've enjoyed them this tournament, right? Yeah, I thought it was a very spirited performance. I think they gave it a go, uh, but also at the same time, I think um, they knew what they were facing, right? So they knew yeah. what their limitations were. And um, as we were talking about Bitch, he also had a chance. I think it was at the moment when it was 
2-0. He kind of ran into the box. So I think Messi spit went into his like saliva into him and he went on this amazing run. Oh, yeah. Cut back. This was before the Guyol chance, but yeah, this was the one where I think it was Otamendi or Romero had to come across and yeah. like get out for corner because that was the moment you're talking about where it got very like hyped up and there was a bit more atmosphere as soon as Australia did that. So that um, was that was incredible. incredible. That run, I honestly was like, <gasps> like my heart stopped watching it. Like, so they did have their moments, right? I thought yeah. they really did. They put Argentina under pressure, definitely. Um, they but did. have you like what have you enjoyed most about this Australia team? I feel like their team spirit is one of them. But what have you enjoyed most about them, Adam? I think they just think... gave it go, right? I think mm. that was the main thing. They just gave it a go. Like I think no one. And there's quite a funny video meme that's going around where everyone's kind of saying Australia's bottom, Australia's bottom, Australia's bottom. And they just turn it around with that celebrations in Melbourne <laughs> where they're just like oh. going absolutely schizo and yeah, yeah. fair play to them. I, I've, I love the fact that they proved the doubts is wrong. They mm. proved themselves wrong because, I mean, they wanted Arnold out, right? They didn't yeah, want yeah, him yeah, at yeah. this tournament at all. Um, so I think this is something for them to build. I'm hoping there's a newer generation that's probably going to be coming through uh, off the back of this. It might take a while, though, till we yeah. see so, that because we talked about the age of this squad, right? A lot of these players that have turned up for these big moments, they are at their kind of yeah. age where yeah, they're yeah, probably yeah. likely to retire. But, yeah, fair play to Australia. Go on, you know, on back... One person I was in practice in particular is their centre back Harry Sutar. He's, oh, um, yeah. yeah, he's been out. Of, I think he's been out for he was out for quite a few months leading up to the World Cup, like an ACL mm -hmm. injury or something like that. Yeah. He plays for Stoke, and uh, yeah, he yeah. spent a bit of time. Like a few of the other Australia players, for some reason, they've chosen the walk of Australia to go to Scotland. <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. gets you game time, I suppose. <laughs> um, but now he's a really, he's a good centre back. Yeah, very um, good. He's very long. Good. He's long pass. He sort of gets Argentina. Like he's quite good at knocking those big diagonal passes. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a consequence of playing for Stoke, but uh, <laughs> it might help. You yeah. know, knocking, knocking the big diagonal. He's got quite. He's got quite a bit to his game, and mm -hmm. um, I think the commentators were saying it as well. Like he, he looks like somebody who you feel could do with the greatest respect to Stoke. Could do a higher, do a job. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, higher than the championship, maybe into the, the Premier League or something. And you look at it and think, well, that's the sort of he's he's somebody who's gonna his stock's gonna be quite high yeah. after that tournament. Um just so, think yeah. how many players are gonna move that there's a transfer window the second this World Cup finishes. Yeah, it's, like, it's gonna be players aren't gonna stick around for long, and I feel like Sutar is one that he has been outstanding, he's been yeah, head and shoulders above a lot of the other defenders in that team. And I think he is going to be picked up. He's got 24 quickly. as well. So he's got yeah. his 100% got his best years ahead of him yeah, as well. Yeah. So incredible. I think, yeah. Incredible. And yeah, the scenes in Melbourne just, I love, oh. I love how much Australia have got behind this tournament. It looked absolutely <laughs> mental at like six in the morning. There must have been so many all day sessions after that. It must have been incredible. If you go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagine, imagine like celebrating, going, oh shit, I've got to be at work at three hours. Uh, got like half an hour. Let's get there. Yeah. I can't come yeah. to work today. Why is that? Reasons. Why? Why is yeah. it sound like there's screaming people behind you? I don't know, mate. <laughs> Look out the window. You'll see me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need to move on to 
Um, is this Saturday's Sunday's games? Yesterday, yesterday, Sunday's Sunday, games. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday did happen, <laughs> and we're gonna talk about Adam. Poland actually tried to attack. What the hell happened? Talk us through the game. I can't, can't explain why they decided to turn up, but I mean, there's only two occasions where I've been a fan of Miknevich. The first one was when we qualified for the actual tournament, and it was for this match because we gave a shit. We actually tried to do something like, and it, like, okay, first 10 minutes, it was a bit nervy. Like, it was kind of like a shock moment for the players, but. They gave it a go once they got that confidence into them. And mm-hmm. they, I felt like they exposed France a lot of times, like through that centre pit. Um, in particular, I think they were quite clever in the sense they were trying to target that through ball into the middle, kind of aim it at Loris. I mean, there was a few occasions that you're kind of wanting Lewandowski to be on his game and be mm-hmm. on the end of trying to lace the ball, especially when Zelinski had his chance as well. It was just so frustrating when you were going into half time and with one behind. Like, yeah. And it was on the cards because Giroud missed a real opportunity to open it as well, where the ball just goes across goal and he has the easiest tapping and somehow he misses it. But I mean, in one sense, as a Poland fan, you kind of look at it and go, if we're beaten by those goals, then yeah, we, yeah. we've done all right, right? Um, yeah. There's still a lot of doubt in Poland about that performance and Mikniewicz in um, general, so to speak. Um, A lot of people don't believe his philosophy is the right way. A lot of question marks about whether he's the right one. Just a few stats that I've taken from this. 45% uh, possession stats for this particular match, the best stats in all of the games that we played. This was the highest we ever did. Highest XG at 1.75, so we were better than uh, France as well. Better head-to-head duels against the French. We had 12 shots on goal, which is... Uh, plus of 212% over the previous rounds, for example. Uh, yeah, I could go on, but I, I think, mean, it's so weird. I think I heard during the game that during the whole of the group stage, Poland had five shots on target during the yeah, whole. Yeah, yeah. Yes, stage. yeah, yeah. Had like on target, three or something yeah. in like the first half or whatever. But well, two was, of them were uh, goals, Andy, against Saudi Arabia. That's yeah. it all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, there's brilliant. a good quote from Mikniewicz, which he said, "The only stat that I care about is results and the place in the group. Every other stat is irrelevant." So that sums up Mikniewicz to a sub. He he kind of has a point, um, but I think I think it was really interesting to see Poland actually try and take the game to France, and they did have some great opportunities. Loris did look shaky as fuck. Yeah, and I thought if That's they'd have just encouragement for England. <laughs> yes, yes, that is just ping balls at him and see what happens. Like he is shaky, but I think if Poland had just got to half time nil nil, I feel like yeah. it could have been a different game. That goal is a turning point. We have to say Giroud now becomes France's all-time top goal scorer. Mm. Incredible achievement going one ahead of Thierry Henry. It feels like he won't have it for long because the guy next to him just absolutely battered two in. Um, And I feel like maybe we can shift our focus to France a little bit. Obviously, they're playing England next, right? So I look at the squads and I I was thinking player for player, we're not a million miles behind them. I feel like position for position, we can match them more or less, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like Teo Hernandez is better than Luke Shaw. And like, I think there was a few positions where I'm like, okay, they're a bit stronger than us. But the key thing is that they've got Kylian Mbappe. And that's the yeah. difference, right? And today or yesterday, 
he it felt like watching prime Thierry Henry and I watched a lot of him when he was at Arsenal when he just decided right I'm going to win this game now I'm sick of this I'm going to win the game and he just gets the ball scores and goes right okay fine we're done and it just it, I got huge flashbacks to Thierry Henry there and I think mm. this is a player that he's the one thing that scares me about the France team and I think England as I said a pretty level but we don't have that player we don't have like Harry Kane is a world-class striker but he's not quite that level. Like Andy, what do you think? I think, I think maybe what it is. I think with Kane, he's a very, he's, he is a world class all round player. But nobody has the skill set that Mbappe has. Uh, nobody's as quick, and he runs. I think we said in the group that he runs seemingly faster with the ball than without it. And I think yeah. that's the thing with Mbappe. Nobody has that that specific skill set that he has. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll probably gonna sound a bit fucking loopy, but I still think there's that. What's really scary about Mbappe is there's areas of his game which I feel that he can improve, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think yeah. sharing your dressing room with Messi would do that. And to expand on that a little bit more, the two goals he scores are absolute world class quality. Mm-hmm. You know, to get the backlip he did on the first one, and the quality for the second Insane. one. But yeah. there's a few times during the game where Messi, for example, would have looked up found the pass, laid somebody in. And I feel like he needs to do that a little bit more because with Thierry Henry, he assisted um, you know, in equal measure as he scored in some cases, so certainly when Thierry Henry was at his absolute peak. And I think mm-hmm. um, sometimes you know, with, him, with Mbappe, he relies on the core skills that he has. But as he gets a little bit older, you know, in a few years... He, I'd like to see him add a little bit more to his game. And I think that's what will be the difference to him maybe getting one or two Ballon d'Ors mm-hmm. to doing a Messi and getting the next three or four. Yeah, yeah. About. Maybe I'm just being a little bit super, super critical, but I think... It's, no, I think, but I think he's he's still young. He's still very, very yeah, young. So there has 20, to be 20, there has to be areas of his game to improve. Yeah. There has to be. I think that's and a I think... for PSG, I think, where yeah. there's a, it's a lot more about individualism uh, mm. Which is strange. I'd love to have seen him at Real Madrid or something like that, mm. or basically not in France <laughs> or England or England. Yeah, we don't want him over here. We love you, man, but just don't come over here. But no, I think, um, yeah, he's going to break the France goal scoring record. You know, mm-hmm. by the time he's probably what, 27, 28, and probably going to yeah. add a few more on top of that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I felt sorry for Matty Cash by the end of that game because that ball was going to fall out tonight. And they like, I thought he, he actually did all right. I, I thought like he, he did quite well. He didn't, yeah. and that's the thing. He didn't play badly, but Mbappe is so good that yeah, fuck all you, you, can, you can you can have an eight out of ten game against him at right back, and yeah. yet he'll still he still ultimately came out of the game with two goals and an assist. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's sometimes where you just sort of go, it's not you know you can't do too much about that. Um, I think the only goal where I felt Poland we could have done better was the first goal because yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the shift, yeah. You know, you meant to stay aligned as a centre-back partnership yeah. and there was no need to push up in the way that did. That gave the jury the space. Yeah. And Giroud's a classy bloke, man. Like, he just... That finish. It was a calm finish yeah. as well. Like, it was a calm finish. Um, yeah, really classy goal from Olivier. Great to see him cement his name in French history. Just in French history. He's been a great player. Yeah. He's been a great, great and player. Also, I, think, I think we should give a shout-out to the pity penalty given to Poland. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that was... That was 
<laughs> now, the first Lewandowski penalty was one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. I thought, for yeah. God's sake, Lever, just at this point, just hit it as hard as you can into the corner. Just no pissing about. But he did eventually get his way and took it again in the exact same style and kind of put it into the bottom corner. Um, is this the send-off for Lewandowski, Adam? Do you think that's it? Will we see one more tournament out of him? Maybe not a World Cup, but a Euros, do you think? I mean, if you read what the Polish press have been kind of given him in terms of pelters, because he's like been endorsing this McNevich style of football, I wouldn't blame him for like maybe finishing yeah. at this tournament. He's done what he wanted to achieve with the Poland national squad. Um, I'd love him to carry on, but I almost had in my head that he would retire after this tournament okay. because I think, yeah. what else can he do really? And I, I feel like almost Poland needs to evolve past Lewandowski because I was, there's always that debate: would we play better without him? Sometimes, but mm -hmm. you've got a quality player like him. If we didn't have him, I think we'd be even worse in terms of quality. And um, yeah, I I, it's, it's one of those. I think. I think, although there's an argument, you know, when you go to these tournaments, like, should we move past those um, players? I think there are players that certainly need to move move away from, like Rokokiak, are you playing in, what is it, like Saudi Arabia or Qatar? Yeah, or yeah, so on that one, like, that he... is a typical Mikniewicz player, as in that his loyalties are, he prefers him over the other players that we've got. A bit like Southgate right. has his favourites. Mikniewicz yeah. has Krihoviak. It's the same argument with Glick, for example. Okay. 35-year-old playing in Serie B. Is he really the man that we should be having in the centre of defence, right? But I like him because he gives that Yeah, no, I like Camel Glick. I think, yeah. in fairness, like he's probably wrong for that first goal. He shouldn't be pulling up. But yeah, yeah. that's his age. That's his. He hasn't got the pace anymore. You yeah, use yeah. him for certain games. Unfortunately, he's just our better defender. Uh, when Kivor is better, right, and he will get even better, I think, with time, yeah. he'll be the man that replaces him. So I'm not worried about that. But yeah, Krahoviak, not his biggest fan. Like Chesney, I was never his biggest fan, but Chesney was the man for this I, tournament I feel like as well. Looking like, like, for the yeah. tournament, he's got it in yeah, the back. It's all about goalkeeper. Juventus players, right? Because Chesney, Rabiot's having an incredible <laughs> tournament. Yeah. Like, who's yeah, yeah. next? McKenny, right? killing yeah. it. I, mean, with, I, um, I feel like. With you, yeah. though, they kept what? With Chesney as being the number one keeper, kept like what five or six clean sheets in a row going into yeah. the World Cup. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think although although we've not we've not been shy and bashing Roy Jack Chesney over the past couple of years or so, I think to be fair to him, like in the lead up to the World Cup and during the World Cup, he's put, you know he's put his money where his mouth is. Yeah. He's really he's been yeah. sensational, and he will yeah. be goalkeeper of the tournament. He will be. There's not. Yeah. Someone is going to be better than him now. Those two penalty saves, that double save from the penalty is incredible. I thought he played, he pulled off some big saves against France. Yeah. He made some big saves, I think. He's just massively stepped up. I think really, really, it was, a, I was so happy that Poland went out with a bit of fight. And there was like, from the first minute, you were like, okay, they're trying to put the ball forwards. There's a plan here. They're trying to counterattack. It was just refreshing to see. I do kind of love Cheswav though, and I really have a lot of time for him <laughs> just for the terrorism that he's caused to the thing, World Cup. Thing in our comments, it's uh, something for Cheslav there as well, to be fair. Oh, there but, we go. Uh, Look at that. not all hope is lost. We can find love on the best dating site. Right. Here we go, boys. Look at that. Find love on the best dating site. There we go. We've got it sorted. But... Just as a disclaimer, note, if you get a computer virus, it is not our fault. So. <laughs> that, wasn't us. that wasn't us. That was not us. But we do need to go to 
the last game of yesterday, three Lions, three goals, again. Garrett, top scorers of the tournament, boys. Top scorers of the tournament. Free-flowing Gareth Ball. Who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought it? Now, I actually got in an argument a a bit, a a discussion with my mate last night, because I was like, this is bloody boring. And he was like, but we're the top goal scorers in the tournament. You can't, like, fucking hell, there's no pleasing some people. I was like, yes, no, I understand this is a difficult position I'm arguing here, but (laughs) I still find it quite dull. But we're not going to, I don't want to complain about England because fucking hell we're doing all right we're actually doing all right i think senegal the first half really pushed us and i was a little bit worried about what was going to happen there was pick for that to make some big saves saka nearly got us massively in trouble with that pass back i thought oh it's a bit shaky boys what's going on but then there's nothing to worry about in the end jude bellingham absolutely bossed the game we're going to talk about him a lot i think um and yeah comfortable three nil win Bring on the frogs. What is there to be afraid of? What is there to be afraid of? Adam, I'm going to start with you. What were your thoughts on this game, your impressions, Senegal and England? I think if you take the two halves into consolidation, like I feel like England overall deserved the win. I think mm-hmm. Bellingham was the player that stands out. He seems to eat like the grass and just the ground that he can make up on players. Um, but for me, what stood out about his performance was his maturity and his timing. Like he just seemed to anticipate when to play the ball, when to do certain moves, for example. And Henderson also, like we have to call him Unbelievable. out. Incredible performance by him. Yeah. Like I think a lot of doubt was about his performance for Liverpool this season, whether he should be in that squad. He proved them all wrong in this particular match. I thought Maguire was very shaky for the first part when Senegal were on it. <laughs> yeah. In particular, yeah. I was expecting Ishmael Assar, like to be hounded out of Watford because he might score against England, right? But luckily, it didn't happen. But I mean, from that point of view, I think Senegal were missing the two players that they would have played, which is Konate and mm-hmm. um, Gay as well. So yeah. if they yeah, would yeah. have had him, I think it would have been a bit more tougher for England. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, as soon as uh, you got that second goal, that was pretty much it from Harry yeah. Kane when he got yeah. set up. And I feel like it was a very typical Southgate performance. Um, I do wonder whether... This is his kind of tournament because he seems to thrive in tournament conditions rather than qualifiers or anything like that. So this seems to be the makings for Southgate. But yeah, Senegal, I think I I felt like they were just disappointing in the end. Like it's probably Mm. overawed by the fact that they conceded that goal before half time. That second goal kind of killed off any chance. And in the second half, although they had a lot more shots on goal, they were all wayward. Um, And Mm. I just, yeah, I, I feel like. Yeah, if they could have got the enthusiasm of their fans, which seemed I could not oh, bear. Never ending, like yeah, yeah, yeah. never ending. I mean, it must take like a VAR decision before they stop dancing, right? I don't <laughs> know what it takes for them, but they seem to just carry on. But beautiful, anyway. Yeah, no, I think we have to. Before I'm going to go to you, Andy, about England. I just wanted to very quickly shout out Ndi from um, Senegal as well. Currently, absolutely smashing it for Sheffield United in mm. the Championship. I think it was six years ago. Was playing for Boreham Wood and was playing for yeah. like uprising ballers FC or something and he's now playing for Senegal in the World Cup just an incredible story and yeah keep an eye on him because Sheffield United it looks like they could come up this year and if they do he's going to be a massive part of that so a really exciting player if they don't Um, he'll be in the Premier League anyway yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he felt like I don't know he feels like a really exciting player I feel like Senegal 
they were just missing that quality. I think you're right, Adam, with like Gway, um, Gay, and I still think if Sadio Mane had been fit, yeah, that first exactly. half an hour for England, we concede that. Like, I think with Mane, it would have been completely different. I feel like Senegal have really had their hands tied behind their back since he's gone out, but despite that, they've got through the group, and as we've said, incredible performances and tactical performances from Ali Ucise. So, really, I, I I always find that with England fans, being an England fan myself as well, we do get a little bit arrogant before games and be like, oh, yeah, it's only Senegal, it'll be fine. But I think they massively, massively provided the opposition that we knew they would. But, Andy, I'm going to go to you for England. Shall we just talk about Jude Bellingham for half an hour? Like, how have we got so lucky that he's English? And I am... I've never been so desperate for Arsenal to sign a player who I know we're definitely not going to sign. <laughs> like he that's, is you know what? so is, so good. That is very, very, very relatable because let's be honest. Yeah. Like you see, you're going on the internet, Gary, and like there's a, there's a bunch of fans who convinced for some reason convinced he's going to Liverpool because he talked to a Liverpool player. He talked so to Trent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you got a bunch of fans convinced he's going to Man United, when in reality he's either going to go to Manchester City. Or he's going to go to Real Madrid. Yeah, hope. Yeah. I hope he just goes to Real Madrid because yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Mbappe thing. Just yeah. I want to see you perform really, really well away from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but no, this, was, I mean, this was a real coming of age performance for him. I feel like this whole tournament has been, but that was yeah. a real standout performance. The season, I mean, the season in general has been a coming of age tournament yeah. for him. I think um, you know. He's, he said that at the end of last season, like he's a very for for his age, he's a very mature and very goal driven mm-hmm. lad. Like you know, he said going into the season that he wanted to add more goals to his game and things like that. And for this season for Dortmund, he is doing that. Um, he's getting further up the pitch. But I think I've not seen maybe it's a bit recency bias. I don't know, but I've not seen a player, a mid central midfield player. Who was that good at 19 years old? Yeah. Uh, yeah some yeah. argument for Steven Gerrard, but he wasn't even in the England squad at 19 no, years old, I no, don't no, think. No. He wasn't, he certainly wasn't at that particular level. It was his yeah. mid-20s before we got to that. And the fact that we're, you know, in 10 years' time, he's, he's still only going to be like 28, yeah. 29, arguably at his peak. Um the only the only midfielder I can think of who at that age was that good was Fabregas off the top of my head is the yeah. only midfielder I, think, I can think is like yeah I think the fact he does everything I mean with England we've always sort of you know had a thing for like box to box all action midfielders mm. but there's not actually that many of them knocking about no. uh, you know he's got a great passing range he's got you know he and in the first half you know. The bit that impressed him most in the first half, we were on the ropes a little bit. He got stuck in, he got back, mm. he trapped back, he tackled. And having watched Gerard de Lampard for many years as a teenager, you didn't see those two doing that at all. No, no. So, no but they, no. they weren't interested in any of that. And I think um, to have that maturity of performance, I think the only teenager who was that had that much of a gravitas on the game was Rain Rooney back in the day. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. different positions, but you know what I mean in terms of, yeah. you know, the, the grabbing the game that. by the scruff of the neck, yeah. I think, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. basically what's going on there. And I think with that, with the England midfield, he's found a balance in which he can thrive in because he knows that Henderson and Rice are going to do the dirty yeah. work and trap back. Um, and I think, you know, what was really good is that, um, with Benningham, with Henderson as well, they're, they're 
they sort of took it upon themselves to start closing down the game a bit more, yeah, yeah. you know, getting their faces a little bit and start, you know, grabbing the game by the scruff of his net because it was getting out of our control a little bit in the first half. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, you know, he, he and you look at that France midfield and without any shadow of a doubt, I go, yeah, he's the best midfielder in that. Yeah. In yeah, that yeah, pack, yeah. we've got. I yeah. think in midfield, I genuinely think we've got an advantage over them, and it's well mm. worth us using it. And I think um, as well with like um, another person who deserves probably a bit more credit is Harry Kane. He's um, been unbelievable. He's been unbelievable. Oh, the amount of people that just don't watch enough football go, oh, he hasn't scored yet and stuff like that. It's a striker. He's meant to be scoring goals, but. When you look at what he does over the course of 90 minutes, there's not many strikers that can drop back and have the passing range that he does. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. when, He's already got three assists, right? Three, four yeah. assists? I think it's three, assists. right? Yeah. three assists in the group stage league. He got one last night yeah. as well. It's just he, that the way he's he seen it do it with the Spurs, the way he sort of dropped back and as he's turning not for a first time pass. I've seen it do it loads of times yeah. first. And he does the same for England as well. And I think mm-hmm. um, it was great to see him get his goal because in the last World Cup, um, it took him a little while to get going. I mean, it's, yeah. That's Harry Kane's thing, isn't it? Yeah, he's like a little wind up. He's yeah. got to give him a yeah, give him a wall. Yeah, and then yeah, hopefully yeah. by the time there. And um, I was thinking back to 2018, and you know. When you look at the 2018 World Cup, we absolutely sweated our way past Colombia in the most tense game ever. We were playing bums like um, Ashley Young at left wing back. And when you mm-hmm. actually look at you, if you look at the midfield we were rocking up with then, you know, like Jesse Lingard and stuff like that, and look what we're rocking up now, we've actually upgraded a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. in a very vital area of the pitch where I feel like, you know, we could compete in a game like against Croatia that we weren't able to a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a mature performance from England. I think we've kind of got used to um, seeing them win knockout games where I think there was a stat that came up before Southgate took charge via you know, the 2018 World Cup. We'd won like five or six knockout games in like yeah, 40 yeah. odd years or something ludicrous like that you know we we're quite <laughs> it was actually quite a normal england thing it to was do. painful yeah <laughs> penalties or you know knocked out by brazil uh because of david seaman's shit goalkeeping <laughs> it's just um but yeah i think um yeah, I think the English was whole with Bellingham as the star of it. I think he'll get like young player of a tournament or something, yeah. I swear, by the end of this, because he's vital. I called it, not to be that guy, but I absolutely called it. Um, Adam, your thoughts on England taking on France in the quarterfinals. How are we feeling about it? I think if uh, England can see what Poland did to France, there's nothing to be worried about. I think you just mm. play your own game and... I feel like, obviously, yes, Mbappe is a threat, but he also has massive flaws in the fact that he doesn't track back. And if, mm-hmm. like, France are under the cosh, which I expect there will be periods of the game where it will go to and fro, then I think, you know, England have a good chance of, like, potentially maybe sealing the win within the 90 minutes. I, I do genuinely feel like there's nothing to be afraid of with this France squad. I think the only difference between Poland and England was we don't have that depth of quality to match up with France and yes I know there's some individual other players within the French squad that could be a threat but equally I mean I I didn't feel that convinced by France I feel like yes also at this point they haven't really come across a team with quality 
Um, you know, so I feel this is a really big test for France as well. Mm. Like, I think if there's an opportunity where you're going to win, then this is your best opportunity because they don't have a Benzema, right? They don't have the likes of a Pogba or Kante, for example, that could have maybe broken it up a bit in midfield as well. Fantastic opportunity for England. I think if anything, Southgate will play his own style in yeah. this particular game. I, I think you just have to back him, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think if you play and manipulate the way you take both halves of the game, because I think there'll be moments where he has to kind of ride it out, but other times where he has to just go for it and attack it in the measured format. I mean, I remember the game against Germany in Euros. I think it was one of those games where yeah. it was about 80th minute before England made the breakthrough. And I think that's yeah, going yeah. to be very similar kind of vibes here in this particular match I think it's going to be one of those that will be very close they might even cancel each other out at one point but I feel like England with the quality that it can bring off the bench is probably slightly better than the French but not by much so um, yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game I think it will be very exciting and yeah it'll be uh, good to watch. I think this could be one of those that could be the making of the tournament, potentially. It feels big now, doesn't it? It feels big now. Now we're coming up against France, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, the nerves are kicking in. I'm already thinking forward to Saturday night. Oh, Saturday night, England versus France. Can't knock it. Yeah. Cannot knock it. Um, Andy, very quickly, feeling confident? Yeah, I've got to that stage. Of it. I've got to that it's coming home stage. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there, guys. We're getting there. <laughs> I, knew, I, knew, I knew it was going to happen. Like, before the tournament was, oh, we're going to get to the quarters. We're going to get battered by France. And now, oh, we've got France. I think we've got a chance. Uh, I, good, I, Look at them. Uh, yeah, like exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> great, you did it. <laughs> but, no, I think... But no, I think the performances England have given, you know, apart from against the USA, we looked a little bit ropey. I think the performances have justified the optimism. I don't yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Got, you know, it's yeah. not woefully misplaced optimism. I think it's, if you look at the performances there and look at the personnel, especially midfield and attack, um, I think we've done quite well. You know, I think we've only conceded two goals during the tournament, you know, when the yeah, game yeah. was absolutely dead. Um, yeah against Iran so there's no reason to think that we can't if we if England play at their absolute best there's no reason why we can't go out there and beat France uh, oh god you know, you've got me believing Andy you've got me believing there you go. I, I think there is an interesting stage uh, case study to be performed in the fact that the fact we've got close now in a few tournaments nobody's actually singing it's coming home nobody's playing it it's not a meme anywhere yeah. i think that it was for such a long time because we got nowhere bloody near it and now we're kind of getting close to it. everyone's going Shh, don't jinx it shut up don't shut up it, yeah. don't jinx it like i feel like there is a massive collective like right let's just see what happens here because it's pretty exciting i think, I think if we beat France, i think that's when it suddenly everything opens up uh yeah certainly I think that's when we'll be like, oh, it, it, you know, I think if you look at the other teams in that half of the draw, I think, what is it? Um, Portugal, I think it's one of the teams that we could potentially face. Yeah, um, it'll be the winners between Portugal, Switzerland and Spain, Morocco. So, yeah, so that that would be, I could, I mean, I could see Portugal maybe getting it, getting one over Spain. Uh, mm -hmm. They've got a bit more about, especially over 120 minutes. Yeah. But, just love to see, you know, Ronaldo crying his eyes out <laughs> after Harry Maguire slots in the header. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers 
crossed. But we do very quickly, very, very quickly need to preview Morocco versus Spain. Um, Adam, I'm going to give you Morocco versus Spain. Andy, I'm going to give you Portugal versus Switzerland. Um, putting you on the spot. Adam, Morocco versus Spain. Thoughts? I think we might see a shock. I might. I'm going to put my head on line and say Morocco win this 2-1. Our friend Basri will be even more happier than ever. Um, but I feel like it's one of those where Luis Enrique, I don't feel he got his tactics right in particular for the last game. I think he got lucky. Alvaro Morata has been relied upon. But also Spain have this funny kind of theme going on in this tournament where they seem to have one good half and then the second half is absolutely rubbish and they can't seem to get it going. Um, so, yeah, big test for Luis Enrique. I think Morocco have nothing to fear. They'll go in there with a lot of form. Ziyech on, like, just a rich vein of form at the moment. I think he's really up for it. And, yeah, I think, you know, Morocco are going to fancy their chances against Spain. So, yeah, I'm going to put it out there and say Morocco to win. Very nice. I love it. I think I kind of agree. Nice. Andy, take us through Portugal versus Switzerland. Granite Xhaka doing some world, world class winding up <laughs> against the Serbians, grabbing his dick and all sorts. Do we think the Swiss, do you think he can ride once again and piss off Ronaldo? I th- I, it depends. You know what? That game against Serbia, I think. It looked like it probably took a lot out of them, both emotionally um, and energy-wise. I mean, I said, obviously, on our WhatsApp group, I just find it funny that Granit Xhaka is so passionately Albanian he's chosen to play for Switzerland, even though his brother is <laughs> <laughs> Albania. That's something that's always puzzled me a little bit. You know, he gives it all the wings and all that kind of stuff. And I, He's going to hunt you down, Andy. You know that, right? He's going to hunt you yeah, down. Yeah, I love that a lot. So, you know what? I understand the historical reasons why there's obviously beef between Albania and uh, Serbia, and I know he has his own very, very personal reasons uh, behind it as well. So yeah, you you can understand. Joking aside, you can perfectly understand where that comes from. But I think um, Switzerland will fancy their chances. I, I think you know Portugal. You know, especially we shown shown against South Korea. Granted, they kind of threw at that point. Um, they are vulnerable, and I know it's going to sound like a bit of an agenda, but. They're another team where I feel like they would probably they seem to do a little bit better when Renato is not on the pitch. Um, that's why the game against you know Uruguay made me laugh a little bit, to be honest. Where he got <laughs> he he tried so hard to score, didn't. <laughs> and then no matter what Piers Morgan says, he didn't score. Yeah, yeah. Gets sucked <laughs> off, um, and um, and then Bruno Fernandez scores a penalty, and I think. Um, as both from United Pan point of view, but also from Portugal point of view, I think um, Bruno Fernandes turning up full port- in a Portugal shirt has been long overdue, mm-hmm. um, and he and he's been grateful in this tournament. That midfield four they've got: Bernardo Silva, Ruben Neves, William Carvalho, and Bruno Fernandes. You know, throwing it back to like Sven Joran Eriksson, Diamond Era. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's actually. Just remember those days. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> um, that is actually working quite well for them. And I think that's, you know, among the most um, functional midfields um, in the tournament. Um, and so I think, you know, they've got the quality to, they've got absolutely got the quality to win the game. Um, but they still look a little bit vulnerable, to see chances. Um, but I would back Portugal to win that one. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I think you're right. I think the only th- like what what Switzerland do have is pace on the break, and they are dangerous. They've got Briel and Bolo, who who on their day can do damage. But I do think Portugal should get through this one really. Um, but of course, hoping they don't. But for now, guys, that is <laughs> us done with the show for today. Um, as always, please follow us on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, and hit the like and subscribe button down here. But for now, it is time for us to send you off with our customary partnership with Cars of Qatar with three stories from migrant workers from Qatar. The first story is Lal bin Tamang. The marriage between Lal bin Tamang and his wife, Mahaman, was an exception. In rural Nepal, arranged marriages are the norm, but they had married for love. Life had only one meaning when Lal Bin would come home from Qatar. The family could start a small business. They could afford to pay for their son's education in 2013. All these dreams were shattered when a steel beam fell from the 16th floor. The company contacted us and said it had been an accident. They told him that his head was injured and died. Mohammed Salim. Mohammed Salim's wife, Ruby Khatun, was happy that her husband had finally returned home. He had been away for several years, but the party in the village did not last long. The family was eating dinner when he complained of a sudden pain in his chest. He was having difficulty breathing. Then he fainted. It happened so quickly, and he was dead. We were all in shock. Ruby Khatun describes the situation as desperate. He wanted to work in Qatar for another uh, for another two years. After that, we talked about opening a small shop in the village so that we could afford to take proper care of our children while they were growing up. And finally, Amit Khaki. It has been over two decades since Kina Bista's husband, Amit Khaki, first traveled to Qatar. Quite honestly, we have not seen him much since we got married 12 years ago. I raised our two children here at home, but they never got to know their father, and now he is dead, says Kina Bista. After a day of work, he complained of pain and was driven to the hospital by his colleagues. He was dead when they arrived. We were told that it was a heart attack, says Kina Bista. The family has received 700,000 Nepalese rupees from the authorities and another 1.4 million rupees from the life insurance. Podcast Network.